Fergal and Trevor are coming out to play. Your Trevor, your Fergal, our, our friendship, friendship never fades. Made. Hello and welcome to episode four of Taylor Made, the podcast which delves into both Taylor Swift and Iron Maiden. I am Fergal, and with me, as always, is my co-host Trevor. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you again. Although technically, I suppose I'm not seeing you, but I guess you're listening somewhere. So good to see you listening. Hope you've enjoyed it so far on episode four. Yeah. I mean, I never thought we'd make it this far, but we have. Um, it's kind of a miracle, I'd say. Do you think it's because of popular demand? I'd say that plays a part, all right, yeah. Definitely popular demand. Well, let's see what some of the comments have been like. Last week, we did an episode about Wildest Dreams, the song by Iron Maiden, and Taylor Swift. So, shall I look in the mailbag? Should we pretend we've got a mailbag? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. You you have a look in the mailbag there, Trevor. Yeah, I'll let you handle this one. So I rummage in some things? Um, if you, if you like, I suppose, if you think it adds to it, yeah, why not? Have a little rummage there. All right, well, here you go. Do you think that was convincing? Somewhat, yeah. Right, well, here's a message from Ruby. And she says that she was disappointed that we didn't say what pudding... Wildest Dreams was like, because we did quite a lot on Wildest Dreams, but after we talked about doing 15, the song in week two, we said, if 15 was a pudding, what would it be? And we didn't do this with Wildest Dreams. So I'm sorry about this. So do you think we should do that now? Sure, yeah. I mean, do you want me to take that one? or? Yeah, well, we could both do it. Why don't you, why don't you start? Well, okay, I'll take the Iron Maiden song and you can take the Taylor Swift version of Wildest Dreams. How about that? Oh, okay. I didn't think of that. I thought we'd both do Taylor, but yeah, I forgot. It's a podcast about both artists. Okay, so um, if Iron Maiden Wildest Dreams were a pudding, I would say it would be like creme caramel. It promises quite a lot, but it delivers very little. Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of creme caramel. Did you say cream or creme caramel? I would say creme because it's usually it's spelled C R E M E, which is the French word for cream. I thought you'd know that, Trevor. Well, yeah, just checking what you said. Um, so what about creme brulee? Is that the same? Creme. Creme brulee. I mean, it's the same pronunciation. I don't think it's the same pudding, though, is it? No. What about cream eggs? Well, that's not cream. Cream eggs. Be- what? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's. But see, I think that's probably an advertising thing because they can't say it's cream because clearly it isn't. It's fondant or whatever. We don't say creme eggs. You don't say creme eggs, no, but I mean... Oh, look, it's a good point. Yeah, I don't have a defence for that one. Cadbury, maybe we can get somebody from Cadbury on to talk about that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Although, this isn't helping Ruby, is it? Who asked us a question, and you want to know what pudding I think Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams is like? I'm having to think about it. While you're thinking about that one there, Trevor, I'll just elaborate on my creme caramel, so... I think oh. creme caramel always sounds very appetizing on a menu. You read about what it is, but then when you actually get inside of it, it's just a lumpy kind of jelly kind of thing with a bit of caramel on the top, which entices you. But then you get inside and you realize there's not much substance to it at all. And actually, the the way it kind of holds up is is a bit sickening and, and off-putting, uh, which I think about the song as well. Yeah, well, that does sum up your thoughts, doesn't it? I remember. I felt, yeah, quite affected by it. Okay, yeah, so the pudding, I think... Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift is like. It's like a red velvet cake. And I've always not been sure about those because they sound luscious and dreamy and like they should be nice. 
but sometimes they're a bit, I don't know what they are. What is Red Velvet Cake? And I think Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift. It, it suggests it's quite luscious and dreamy, but I'm not sure it quite hits the spot as much as other songs by her. So that, mm. that might be the pudding, I think. Red Velvet Cake. I still don't know what it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see your point with Red Velvet Cake. It's just a, a, a sponge cake with food colouring in it, really, isn't it? Oh, maybe. But that suggests that it's quite artificial, and I don't think Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift is artificial. I think it's quite genuine and real. So maybe that wasn't a good pudding choice. You see how hard maybe it can be? You should have compared it maybe to a Victoria sponge, then. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, I suppose that's quite standard, though, isn't it? And again, this is beyond standard. I'm disappointed with my answer. I wish I could start again. But never mind. <laughs> Right, should we move on to another comment? I won't do the mailbag sound effect again. No, I think once is enough for that. Yeah, let's go. Next one. Okay, well, last week uh, you said that Iron Maiden's Wildest Dreams is about me on my way, remember? But, I uh, do. Yeah, but Charlotte disagrees. She says that Iron Maiden didn't write a song about Trevor, and this is ridiculous. So, yeah, that's a strange <laughs> comment. I don't, don't think you really meant that, did you? I didn't mean in a literal sense, of course, because in 2003, uh, nobody could have heard about Trevor. You weren't available in a public forum. So what I meant was it could be related to your life. If you were to read into the the actual meaning of the song, you could adapt the lyrics to your journey. Uh, So thanks, Charlotte, for your input. But of course, it would be foolish to think it's actually about Trevor. Unless Iron Maiden are in possession of a time machine, as well as Paul Diano. Yeah, interesting point. And finally, we had a message from Tim, and he enjoyed the Chop Trump section. Do you remember that? That was good. We compared both songs and almost ranked them alongside each other. But he says, did you know there's an Iron Maiden Top Trumps? And I did. What about you? Yeah, I actually only saw it advertised recently, and uh, I, I want to get some, but I, I couldn't find a reasonably priced uh, set where the postage wasn't extortionate so I didn't order any but it's something I would definitely use so maybe I'll just you know uh, pay the postage <laughs> and suck it up yeah it did look out of stock in most places but uh, yeah that's interesting um, I mean our top trumps game maybe didn't go quite to plan but this one obviously is an official release but it's got some strange categories uh, have you seen them so did you think it was an official release? Because I, I don't see it on the Iron Maiden website or any of their traditional partner websites where they release their merchandise. Oh, maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't know who made it then. So does that mean we could make one? We could, but we would open ourselves up to be potentially being sued, I think. So best to hold back on that one, I'd say. Uh, maybe for distribution among friends and friends at a podcast, uh, but maybe not for a commercial sale. I suppose with this podcast... There'd only be two cards with Wildest Dreams, though, wouldn't there? Um, so it might not be a very long game. I think with this one, it's Iron Maiden songs and albums. But I don't like the categories, because one of them is Year of Release. So how does that win? Is it the newest release wins? Because it's a bigger number. I suppose in that case, similar to World Cup Top Trumps, which I used to play back in the day, you have to set your own ground rules about which is the winner. Is the oldest one the winner? Or is the more recent one the winner? And then once you establish that, I think, you know, you're on solid ground then for a good, healthy game of top trumps. But that's silly. Surely if it's your release and, and you say, oh, the newest one wins, then Senjutsu always wins. You just say, oh, I've got Senjutsu. I'll just say your release. 
Yeah, but that's like when you had top drums from the 1990s and you had Brazil and it was World Cup wins three. And you knew if you had that, you had, you know, what in poker they call the nuts. And I don't mean that in a rude way, or maybe I do, I'm not sure. But it's when you know you have the winning hand before you've even started to play the round. And that's a good thing in a way, because it leads to kind of excitement. You're shuffling through the ones you've been dealt. You're like, ah, I've got Brazil or I've got Senjutsu. So. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I notice also they've got a category called Fear Factor. I don't know what that means. I think it's a bit like Trevor's vibe. Remember that? That caused a few problems. Yeah. Yeah. How could I forget? But yeah, I mean, that's just some kind of arbitrary thing that the Top Trumps creators have decided to put in themselves. Uh, It's not factual, obviously, like year of release. So I suppose it's just one of those categories. They need to fill it up with some categories. So they decided themselves which um, album artwork was more fearful than another. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, Trevor's vibe was... Who knows? I, I know. But you had Fergal feel, didn't you? Or Fergal's feel. Um, which, yeah, I think I wanted Ferg's feel at one point, but anyway. You should have had Fergal factor. Uh, that would have been clever, wouldn't it? You missed a trick there. Could have done. Fergal's yeah, feel. Yeah. Well, never mind. Ferg factor. Can we get Ferg in there? Ferg factor, yeah, maybe. Maybe we could have that. Maybe that could be a special feature on a future episode. I don't know what it mm. means, but yeah, maybe discuss it later. I think people have had enough of this top trumps, except Tim, who sent the question in about did we know there's nine maiden top trumps? And, and we should have just said yes. But never mind. <laughs> I know. But that's not a podcast, is it? You have to elaborate on your answers. You can't just give monosyllabic yes or no answers on a podcast. So thanks, Tim, for that one anyway. Great. Well, this week, uh, the episode's called Hey Stephen, which was a Taylor Swift song. But we're looking at Stephen Harris, who's known as Steve Harris, or Ari, who's a bass guitarist in Iron Maiden. But, of course, being a Taylor Swift podcast, we're going to look at Taylor Swift as well. So we're going to compare the two of them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the comparisons that we'll find um, with their careers and, and various other aspects of their lives. Great. Well, one of the things we'll look at is how both artists, Taylor Swift and Iron Maiden, almost have got an image around them, like a brand. But we've got to remember, they're real people. You know, real people behind this brand with real feelings and real emotions. They certainly are, yeah. Um, with Taylor Swift, it's more in the public eye. And Steve Harris as a person, you could say, also has a brand. It's very understated. And you almost have to be in the know about Iron Maiden to know what it is. But yeah, both artists and both individuals, I'd say, definitely have a brand. And we can definitely delve into both of those. Great. Well, yeah, we'll certainly look at some comparisons, maybe a bit like episode two, some similarities and differences. Yeah. But recently, we had all that talk, didn't we, about Taylor Swift breaking up with Joe, um, and that was all in the news, speculation. Um, and do you think that sort of speculation and attention would have happened if a member of Iron Maiden had split up with a girlfriend? I wouldn't imagine it would happen with Steve Harris, Um we also recently had in the news that Bruce Dickinson is allegedly engaged to his oh, girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, he's more newsworthy, of course, than Steve because he's more in the public eye and he's the front man of the band. But Steve is a much more private individual, uh, much more reserved. So, yeah, somebody in Iron Maiden, if it's going to be anybody, it'll be Bruce. And it was Bruce, actually, around the same time in the news. Uh, but Steve, I don't think we'd ever really hear much about that um, in the gossip column. Yeah, I suppose different audiences. Um, but... When these news items were announced, how did you feel? Um, I mean, with Taylor Swift, it's hard to feel strong emotions when she breaks up with somebody because 
it's happened multiple times and it's happened in the public eye. So it seems almost like it'll just be material for a new album. Uh, wow. Apologies for that cynical outlook on that, but um, that's how I kind of felt initially. Uh, sorry, Taylor. And with Bruce, I don't know. I didn't really care, to be honest, about well, um, okay, well, you know, yeah. Uh, that's quite frosty. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift, as I said earlier, she's a real person. She's got feelings. And, you know, this isn't just any old breakup. This is Joe. Six years. Come on. We've got people complaining about this. I can see next week's comments. Oh, but. They, you know what? They probably will complain about it. And that's fair for them to do so. But at the same time, you mentioned brand earlier and. Taylor Swift is such a brand that it's almost impossible to separate her from it and it's almost impossible to look at her as a person rather than a brand. And when a person or an artist reaches that level, when you hear news about their personal lives, it kind of rolls off your back or not. That's not the correct phrase, I suppose, but it's easy to almost dismiss it as just more celebrity gossip, I think. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, but like you say, I suppose it will inspire some music or lyrics. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a shame it almost negates the album Lover. I wonder if some fans might find it hard to listen to that now, knowing it was all for nothing. But well, when the news, I mean, I asked how you felt about it, but when it was announced, did you think that she might be interested in you? Maybe as, you know, maybe you could be a suitor. I think that's likely. Uh, the thought never crossed my mind, Trevor. Uh, I'm happily involved in a relationship for over two years, a love relationship for over two years now. So uh, no, it didn't cross my mind. And I don't even know how that interaction would ever happen. So uh, no, no, I didn't think about that one. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I suppose realistically it's too soon to approach her, isn't it? You know, she might be you know, based on what's been happening. But then if she hears this podcast, she might be drawn to one of us. You, know, you can't rule it out. Um, I remember I used to think I might get involved with Emma from the Spice Girls, Emma Bunton. But uh, mm. I think there was a time when I realised it might not happen. Um, and then my attention focused on Lisa Scott Lee from Steps. Do you remember her? I do indeed, yeah. yeah. And what, what led you to the point where you thought that it might not happen with Emma Bunton? I don't know. I just felt it probably wasn't going to happen. She wasn't touring uh, like Lisa Scott Lee was. Lisa Scott Lee was more available because she was at Derby in a pantomime. So I could go and hang around by the stage door, waiting for an autograph. Oh, aftershave. But uh, I don't think she noticed. Did you ever get to meet Lisa Scottley? Well, yeah, outside the pantomime. Um, as I said, I got her to sign my, my programme. says, to Trevor, love from Lisa Scottley. Um, but then the third time, I think she got suspicious. said, oh, you again. So I had to sort of modify my behaviour. And what do you think she meant by love? Lisa Scott Lee. Well, I was quite excited, um, but then I saw she'd written it on someone else's program. So yeah, I felt a bit jealous, and, and maybe you know I've been deceived. But it was all right. Mm. I mean, there is a point when you realise maybe celebrity love relationships aren't for you. Um, you know the pressure. Like Joe with Taylor, you know he wanted to be out of the spotlight, and if I was going out with Lisa Scott Lee, I'd be in the press, wouldn't I? There'd be analysing my poems, saying they're about Lisa Scott Lee from Steps, and they weren't. They absolutely would, yeah. You, you probably made the right decision there to kind of give her the heave-ho, yeah. Uh, good choice. Yeah. Okay, maybe we should talk about Steve Harris and Taylor Swift again. So we talked about the difference in how the press treat them with love relationships and breakups. So is that because 
pop fans want this and metal fans don't? Or does the media assume that pop fans want it? How does that work? Well, I think by its very nature, pop popular music is more uh, to, like inherently connected to the media. Um, that's how it perpetuates itself. It's it's just always in the media. And I mean, the, the tabloids and various other media outlets essentially do Taylor Swift's marketing for her. She probably wouldn't need to spend a cent on advertising if she didn't want to. Um, yeah. Whereas a band like Iron Maiden, they do all of their promotion and they do, they do all of their, uh, you know, public relations in a very different way, using a very different model, uh, almost already marketing to people who could currently listen to the band. Um, but then maybe a small few things like the Marvel connection and things like that um, to market T-shirts to maybe potential younger fans. Uh, but I think Iron Maiden rely a lot on cousins, dads, brothers, uncles bringing their children or nephews or sons or whatever uh, to gigs. Um, and Taylor Swift is just a constant churning machine of media and album releases and PR. Uh, so I think they're very different. And I don't think really too many Iron Maiden fans really want to know about Steve Harris's love relationships. Uh, well, um, we've talked about them being a brand, but I've also talked about them being human and having emotions. We've also got opinions. So can you think of a time when Steve Harris has shown, I don't know, opinions or passion? Any subjects? In general, I mean, Steve, I suppose, can get quite defensive when he gets pulled up on things that people, you know, accuse him of doing something. Uh, one example, I think, was when he was accused of using overdubs in the Rock and Rio live DVD and album, and he got really miffed about that one. And his defense was he wasn't using overdubs, he was splicing in Bruce's live vocal uh, into sections of songs where there had traditionally been crowd singing because he thought it sounded better on the finished product, but he really got kind of his um, knickers in a twist about that one, and he was very passionate about that. And I don't know if his defense is actually uh, reasonable because he still is splicing in vocals that weren't sung on the night, which is almost an overdub. So um, he can get quite uh, defensive, I think, when people put back him into a corner or in his own mind back him into a corner. Yeah, well, that's... That's true. I think Taylor Swift, I mean, I don't think she's had as many live albums as Iron Maiden. And maybe we'll look at that later. But uh, I think Taylor Swift, despite you know what you said earlier about being a brand, and, and she's been able to use a platform for good things. You know, she spoke out about injustice, sexual harassment, and uh, she's lent a voice to LGBTQ issues uh, and spoken out against pro-abortion stuff. And she's lent her voice to politics in a way which may alienate some old fans because you know those who like country maybe are of a certain demographic and she stood up to that and i think that's good that's that's perhaps what yeah perhaps that's beyond what we expect of a pop artist and she certainly has i mean she's kind of the archetype now of the progressive pop star um somebody who sets a good example to children and um, young adults especially young uh, teenage girls and young adult females um, and it's probably like you said it's more than as expected but I think she's done a lot of good in what she's done uh, in the causes that she supported and lent her voice to um, something tells me if Iron Maiden started doing that it just wouldn't go down very well and I'd say they'd, they'd give that a wide berth um, and probably rightly so the, the image just doesn't marry up to it like Eddie supporting you know abortion is just <laughs> it's, it's a match made in hell yeah, that's that's an odd one. I mean, Bruce was 
you know, occasionally political with some of his comments, but generally they avoid it, and I agree, stay out of it. I mean, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't have an opinion, but I think most people just want them for their music. Yeah, and I think that's the main difference between Iron Maiden and Taylor Swift is that Taylor Swift has either positioned herself or has been positioned as a role model, whereas Iron Maiden never attempted to position themselves as role models and there's a strong kind of uh, gulf between the two in that respect I'm not sure I mean I wanted to be Bruce Dickinson for a while that's a role model isn't it I grew my hair sure yeah sure it's a role model but it's not a role model promoted by Iron Maiden Iron Maiden didn't try to convince you to be Bruce Dickinson I don't think I think the Taylor Swift machine might be trying to convince you that Taylor Swift is somebody who is a role model okay I think the machine thing, that I'm going to get more comments about that as well. You know, Taylor's an independent woman. You know, there's a bit of a machine around her, giving her advice, but I believe that she makes a lot of decisions, like Steve Harris, and I think that's quite good. But, uh, okay, he sort of mentioned a few differences. Let's look at some others. Now, one difference, and, and you, you may have noticed this, one of them is a man in his 60s, and the other one is a girl in her 30s. So they're quite different, and, you know, you could say... Well, he could be a father, but he isn't. So not that we know of. No, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, they're obviously completely different demographics. Uh, he could easily be her father. He's he's at least double her age, or probably is almost exactly double her age. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're they came from two completely different eras. Steve Harris born in the fifties, Taylor Swift born in the eighties. The world had changed so much; it was almost unrecognizable to the world Steve Harris grew up in. Uh, you know, I. Uh, Still probably kind of feeling kind of a bit of post-war Britain feel in, in the mid-1950s to the kind of glitz and glamour of the US in the 1980s. So, yeah, it's just like completely incomparable, nearly. Yeah. I said, well, he grew up in the East End of London, as we know, um, whereas, yeah, Taylor Swift grew up on a Christmas tree farm. That sounds quite different. Um, she, was actually, she actually grew up in Pennsylvania. What do you know about that place? Pennsylvania, uh, I don't really know much about it. East Coast, USA, I think that's probably all I know. No, I think it's more north, like the you know, Great Lakes and mountains. But, uh, yeah, I don't know much about it either. But then she moved to Nashville when she was 14. What was Steve Harris doing at 14? God, he was probably still thinking he might make it as a footballer, I reckon, around that age. Or maybe his, his hopes were dashed around that time. Or not even dashed. Maybe his preferences had shifted towards music, probably. Uh, he's probably playing his first bass guitar around then, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's right. So, yeah, as a teenager, they both had a burning ambition. Oh, I've just seen you drinking. I haven't, we haven't talked about your drink. Oh, yeah. What you got? Is that Kestrel lager? Uh, no, it's not Kestrel. No, it's a uh, Tuborg. Uh, ah, yeah, Tuborg. I've heard of that. Tuborg Green. Although it's the only Tuborg you can get over here, so the green is kind of irrelevant. But if you go to mainland Europe, you can get all sorts of different variations of Tuborg. Ah, right. That's good. Um, what am I drinking? You should have asked, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> I'm drinking Vimto. Still Vimto. Still Vimto. Okay, is Vimto not relatively yeah. still anyway? You can get still or sparkling. Uh, and you get ah. a, a range of flavours now. This used to be a mystery of what flavour it was. I think it was grape, blackcurrant and blueberry or something. But now there's about five different colours. But uh, anyway, mm. talking about Pennsylvania and Christmas tree farms. Um, so yeah, so Steve Harris, as you say, he wanted to be a footballer. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if he had anyone in his family who was musical. 
whereas Taylor Swift, her grandmother, was an opera singer. Yeah, well, yeah, Steve Harris's dad was a truck driver anyway, so uh, unless he was getting together with fellow acquaintances and, and playing a few songs uh, at the services, uh, yeah. I don't know if he had any musical influences. He seemed to get it from his friends, if I recall cl- correctly, so yeah. Um, different yeah. influences, yeah. I think he was inspired by the Beatles originally, Steve Harris, and then the people we now know more about, you know, the 70s rock artists, um, whereas Taylor Swift was inspired by Shania Twain. So, yeah, a bit different. Steve Harris couldn't have been inspired by Shania Twain because she wasn't releasing music in the 70s. But, you know, it's still a difference. You can't say it's not a good comparison. I mean, unless man, I feel like a woman, inspired parts of Brave New World, uh, I'd have to delve a bit deeper into that. But I can come back to you. Yeah, not sure it did. But, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should look at that. I haven't listened to that album for a while. So yeah, so you just mentioned Steve Harris at age 14 and I did a few comparisons um, All right. between Taylor Swift and Steve Harris at key ages, so I picked 18, 25 and 30 yeah. um, and made comparisons between the two. So if you look at Steve Harris at 18, uh, by that time he'd already been in multiple bands, Smiler, Gypsy's Kiss, we've all heard of these, um, and Iron Maiden started just slightly afterwards when he was 19. Look at Taylor Swift. She had her first album released by the time she was 18. She had a top 40 single and she opened for Rascal Flats. Have you ever heard of Rascal Flats? Rings a bell, but is it a man? I don't know if it's a man or a band, but I know it's oh. country. Oh, okay, yeah. I think I have heard, I don't know why I've heard of it. Or it. Yeah. Or them. So if this, if this were top drums by now at age 18, I think Taylor Swift is winning here. Uh, if you fast forward to age 25... So Iron Maiden had two albums released, obviously their self-titled debut, and uh, Killers, and they'd support Kiss and Judas Priest on tours, and they were headlining their own shows in the Hammersmith Odeon, which is a a prestigious venue in the UK. Uh, Taylor Swift had five albums released. She'd won a Grammy for the album Red. She'd done a complete shift in sound, massive popularity. She won a Grammy for... 1989 as well and she had 150 million dollar grossing tour uh, for red as well so again in top trumps i think taylor swift is winning here yeah uh, in the second of two you've said about money and and success what about fergal's factor or ferg's factor is she winning then (laughs) i hadn't really applied the ferg factor to uh, these ages but i suppose if you look at it i don't see any way that she can't be winning really um she's had the more successful career uh she shifted away from country which probably wasn't really her she stayed true to herself and she's released pop albums and she's made a massive success of it so i think yeah by any measure she's she's doing well at age 25 by age 30 we're looking at Steve Harris in particular. Uh, Iron Maiden had five albums released and a live album. They had completed the World Slavery Tour. They'd headlined in the US multiple times. This was their first peak, really, in popularity. And they're the most famous metal band on the planet. Uh, by age 30, Taylor Swift had released seven albums, record-breaking tours, multiple. And she's the most famous pop star on the planet. Maybe they could draw on that one, I think. Um, they've done so much work uh, personally and so much work with their brands and they are the first name on your lips really if you're going to talk about heavy metal in 1986 when Steve Harris would have been uh, 30 years old and pop music in uh, 2019 when Taylor Swift would have been 30 years old 
yeah, well, now she's, what, 33 then, isn't she? And that, yeah. Steve Harris would have done seventh son then. Um, so, yeah, that that's an important age. So, again, another peak, maybe, for Iron Maiden. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to compare like for like. But uh, it's funny how 33 is quite an important age because I don't know if you remember on Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast in the Alexander the Great episode, that's the age that Alexander the Great died and how much he'd achieved at that age. I remember, uh, I remember him saying that Caesar, when he saw his grave, he wept because he realised how little he'd achieved in comparison when he was 33. What about you, when you were 33? I mean, I don't think you did what Alexander the Great did and raided empires and killed people, I hope. But did you think about your life at 33? Um, I didn't really give it too much thought. I know there's the whole comparison with the age of Christ thing. Um, I don't really pay too much attention to that. But... uh. Yeah, 33, you know, I was doing all right for myself. Um, I was in a good full-time job that I'm still in now. And uh, I was it was a job with career progression and it was dependable and a safe kind of job as well. So from that aspect, I was doing well. If you look at it another way, I hadn't done a lot of the things that I've done in the last few years. I think I, from a personal, personal development standpoint, the last two to three years have been more important to me. So maybe from ages 34 to 37, uh, I've done a lot more of the things that maybe I should have done when I was a bit younger. Yeah, fair enough. I can't remember too much specifically, but thinking back to when I was 33, that would have been two years after seeing Lisa Scott Lee and Jack and the Beanstalk at the Derby Assembly Rooms. So yeah, probably an important time because I realised that I had to move on. So yeah, different experiences to Taylor Swift and Iron Maiden and you. But, uh, you know, you learn from these things. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. So, yeah, while you say that Taylor Swift maybe won if it was a game of top trumps between those ages, um, do you think... And we also talked about Steve Harris being the bass player rather than the singer. Do you think there's more pressure on the singer or even just her being a female solo artist than Steve Harris playing bass in a heavy metal band? Uh, it's an interesting one to look at. I mean, yeah, you could say Steve Harris is just playing bass in a heavy metal band, but he's doing a whole lot more than that, and we know that he is as huge fans of Iron Maiden. He he is the band, really. Um, he runs the band. He com- he continues his original vision and makes sure that nobody messes with that. And he essentially is the Taylor Swift of Iron Maiden, and other people are along for the ride. Um, so I'd say there's an equal amount of pressure on both Taylor Swift and Steve Harris to constantly work on their brand, their music, everything, uh, because they are the the leaders in their respective fields. And yeah, he's not like bass player, of course, but also so many other things. Steve Harris is. Yeah, that's good. I'll put that in the show notes to, to you know preview it. Say that yeah, we find out that Steve Harris is the Taylor Swift in Iron Maiden. So, old Nico be what what pop artist? Maybe we won't do that. Maybe not oh, today. Maybe maybe later. Nico is the Lisa Scott Lee of Iron Maiden. Oh come on! I wouldn't queue up for him in the pantomime. Oh yes, you would. Right, that we'd have less of that. Right, okay. Let's uh, move on. I think they're both quite good at business. Uh, you know, they're not just pop artists because um, you know they look at opportunities, but they remain passionate. You know, they're not just about the money. I feel that they're quite fan-focused. What do you think? I would definitely agree with that, although 
maybe with Iron Maiden in recent years, being fan focused and not being about the money has slid off a small bit with the sheer amount of merchandise they release and the cost of it as well is astronomical especially the price of a concert t-shirt these days um, in ireland that's about 40 euro now uh, i bought my first one in ireland 20 years ago and it was 17 euro um so more than double uh, more than a 100 percent increase in cost for essentially the same product um but yeah they definitely are both good at business taylor swift is the most recognizable pop star in the world um actually i wanted to save that nugget for later but anyway uh, it was, I suppose, it was to do with the comparisons of both. Taylor Swift is the most recognisable pop star in the world. Iron Maiden are probably, maybe the second most recognisable heavy metal band in the world after Metallica. So uh, you could say both have done a very good job at business. Uh, they're out there. They're the name on people's lips when you talk about pop music or you talk about heavy metal. Um, and yeah, Iron Maiden have done a lot of good things for their fans. You know, I'm not going to be negative about them uh, across the board. Just some things recently, you know, have didn't say that so well with me but like yeah they do things like they released beast over hammersmith on vinyl because people have been talking about wanting it for years they uh tailor no pun intended their set lists um to suit both old school fans on alternate alternate tours and then the newer fans who want to hear the new material and taylor swift does a 35 or 40 song set list uh on her first tour back in a long time um and does her own versions of previous releases like we discussed as well so uh, there's a lot of stuff there that they do really well for the fans but business underpins all of it and uh, it can be hard to strike the balance between business and being fan friendly but i think they both do an excellent job of it in their own fields yeah it was interesting to hear about her long sets and the songs she does it's almost like every show there's a new one and you know she seems to adapt the set every night and i don't think iron maiden can do that um maybe they could but they don't do that I think they've just taken a hard stance against it. And another trait with Steve Harris is he's rather stubborn. So I think when he decides something, he just sticks with it and goes with it. Um, There are some exceptions, of course. Blaze Bailey is an example. But that was for the good of the business, bringing Bruce Dickinson back. And it was the right decision to make. But yeah, the whole thing with Iron Maiden now is that now we have too many set lists change, or we have too many backdrop changes. We have too many production changes, lighting, etc., etc. As if Taylor Swift doesn't have all of that as well. Um, but yeah, they've taken a hard stance and they've just run with it, and that's Ari, isn't it? Yeah, fair enough. Now, I also think that a lot of pop artists they use sex appeal to sell records or, or their mm. image, but I don't feel that Taylor Swift does this. Uh, you know, she doesn't twerk or shake her booty or whatever people do these days and nor did steve harris no and i don't want to see steve harris twerking or shaking what's in place of his booty anytime soon either uh steve harris will go out in a wife beater with the words whale isle beef hooked on it uh, that's about as sexy as he gets uh, and that's about as sexy as i think anyone wants him to get i mean the spandex of the 80s is a, is a long forgotten memory thankfully um and taylor swift yeah she's no miley cyrus you know she's not going out there uh twerking as you said or swinging off big massive uh i was going to say the word balls there but balls in the actual literal sense Re- wrecking um, balls for the younger listeners. wrecking balls indeed yeah um so yeah it's a uh, no one wants to see Iron Maiden try to use sex appeal. And Taylor Swift uh, walks the, the right side of the line there as well, definitely. Yeah, I mean, she does wear quite revealing outfits, but it never looks cheap or, or, or you know, I don't know, whatever the word is. But, 
Yeah, as you say, Steve Harris did wear spandex and things, but yeah. they still wear shorts on stage, but not hot pants. Yeah, that'd be like well, they're more like cargo shorts these days. Yeah. And long may continue. But yeah, Taylor Swift, yeah, she does kind of wear revealing outfits, but at, at the same time, you know, there's a tastefulness to it or tact to it, you might say. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Well, I think she's almost a fashion icon in a way. You know, she's appeared on magazine covers like Vogue and Elle and, and things like that. Not magazines I buy, but, you know, can you think of any magazines Steve Harris has appeared on the front of? Well, there's the obvious ones. Uh Kerrang! in the 80s and, and probably in recent times as well. Uh, classic rock magazine, Sounds, I'm sure. Uh, record collector, probably not any of the likes of the ones that Taylor Swift no. has appeared on the cover of. I wonder, is there a crossover? I wonder, has Iron Maiden appeared on Q magazine? Although that probably went before Taylor might, Swift was might have popular. Might have done in the Brave New World era. Um, he's been on Bassist Monthly, of course, as well. Do you get that? Uh, no, I, I haven't haven't read that one. Yeah, well, it's good. It's good comparison. Some good things here, uh, and they've almost got their own style, haven't they? They're not. A, she's not a singer by numbers, and Steve Harris isn't a bassist by numbers. And I wonder how good they really are, because people don't think of Taylor Swift like I don't know Mariah Carey, who's an amazing singer with an amazing range, but she does her own thing and she does it well. And what about Steve Harris? Where does he rank in bass players for you? I think Steve Harris is often ranked quite highly amongst uh, inspirational bass players. You'd hear him mentioned in the same breath as John Entwistle or Geddy Lee or um, Geezer Butler or people like that. Uh, Taylor Swift has chosen a particular type of vocal style, which she does extremely well. And there's absolutely no need for her to try and be Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey or anyone like that doing vocal histrionics and acrobatics because it would take away from the songs, which are at the heart of it, the simple pop songs, and I think that's what they should remain. Yeah, well, it's all about the stories for her, isn't it? Um, but yeah, Steve Harris, I'm not sure about bass players, because, you know, he's got his own style, but I don't know, he's not a virtuoso bassist, he's not there slapping about, is he? Except at the start of that Blood in the World's Hands. But uh, generally, I wouldn't say it's simple, because it doesn't use a plectrum, but then I don't play the bass, so I perhaps don't know, even though I read bassist monthly, every month, unlike you. Unlike me, yeah. Well, no, he, he's not a virtuoso. I don't think so. But I think playing uh, freehand without a plec, I think that was influential to many people. And the galloping uh, riff as well, the galloping aspect of their songs. Um, I think Wayne might have pointed out on Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast that maybe that doesn't feature in as many Iron Maiden songs as we thought it did initially. But it's still their style and it's still the style people associate with the man. It certainly is what they uh, influence people with. Yeah, well, what's interesting is, despite that, you probably know them more, if you're a fan, for the, for the actual songwriting. We did talk about in the second episode how they write different styles of lyrics and themes. Um, but to also, um, we talked about brand, but Iron Maiden have got Eddie, a mascot, of course, and, and Taylor Swift doesn't have an Eddie. Uh, and pop artists don't have mascots. So, so why is that? I suppose... I don't know if anyone in Iron Maiden would have done as good a job as Eddie. Uh, I don't necessarily want to see Steve Harris on the cover of every album. Um, 
I don't think they would have sold as well. You know, you hear about all these people who went to the shops like Scott Ian from Anthrax and he saw the first Iron Maiden album and yeah. he's like, I saw this thing looking out at me from the rack and I just had to buy that album. I don't think if he saw Steve Harris's face looking out at them uh, or the band's faces looking out at them, he would have been so enticed to buy the album. Taylor Swift is obviously a more naturally beautiful person than anyone in Iron Maiden. So she doesn't need an Eddie, I don't think. And I think Iron Maiden do and I think they tell you as much. Yeah, fair enough. I suppose uh, not many artists do have a mascot anyway, regardless of being a pop artist or metal. We had a message from Dennis Stratton this week. Oh, lovely. Be nice to hear from Dennis Stratton again. Hello, Trevor. Dennis Stratton here. What do you think of all this hoo-ha, then? Taylor Swift dating men. First, we get a racing car driver, and now that singer from the 1970s. I'd never heard of him. Maybe you should write her a poem. She might be interested in you. And if that wasn't enough, whoa, more news. She announced the Taylor's version of Speak Now. That's fun. I like the new cover. A nice shade of purple. I suppose you'll be busy with Eurovision this week. That was always too pop for me. But maybe I'll change my ways again. Like how you made me change my outlook on Taylor Swift. There's more rock in the contest these days. Anyway, better get back to it. I've got some housework to do. So we'll speak soon. Take care, Dennis. Great, that was nice, wasn't it? Hmm. Right, well, this episode's called Hey Stephen. And I may have already said that. Um, but the Taylor Swift song called Hey Stephen isn't about Steve Harris, is it? I don't think it is, no. I definitely don't think it is about Steve Harris at all. No, I mean, we could speculate, but it's about a guy she had a crush on. Uh, I don't think it was Steve Harris. Um, now, we mentioned the age gap, which, you know, isn't necessarily wrong, but it's been proven that it was about a, a Stephen from a band called Love and Theft. I've never heard of them. Um, but yeah. No, it sounds like the name of a Bob Dylan album to me, but definitely don't know the band. But yeah, I had a quick look at the lyrics, because it's not a song I know that well, which might upset some people. They might expect us to know every song. But one of the lines said, Of all the girls tossing rocks at your window, I'll be the one waiting there, even when it's cold. Now, I I was confused by this, because tossing rocks at a window, I think that's like someone throwing those small stones to tap at it. You know, if they want to wake you up or get someone's attention. But I bet Mm. if I threw a rock at a girl's window, probably smash, wouldn't it? They'd call the police. I think if you threw a rock at Taylor Swift's window, you'd be arrested and thrown in jail. Yeah, so I don't know, it's not not good, is it? I mean, we talk about role models, but maybe that's not a good thing to suggest. Maybe maybe girls do that in Pennsylvania. I don't know. Sometimes it comes down to syllables, you know. Maybe pebbles didn't fit in, and that's why she went with rocks. Although she could have just said stones, and that's kind of in between the two. So, you know, that's an opportunity missed there, Tay. Yeah, maybe, maybe I've taken it too seriously. But yeah, okay, well, we're not going to review that song anyway. That's just what we called in this episode. So I think the problem with both artists being pop or heavy metal is that people make judgments on them because we see them in the public eye or we, we, you know, we stereotype them, like we stereotype the fans. So what do you think people generally feel about these artists you know, who aren't fans? If you said, oh, I don't know, Iron Maiden to someone in the street, People who aren't fans, uh, 
I think people who aren't fans of Iron Maiden probably aren't even aware of them, to be honest. Um, so they might recognize the name from the 1980s. They might see a poster for an upcoming show, but it wouldn't even register with them because it's just not in their mindset at all. Uh, people who aren't fans of Taylor Swift probably just dismiss her as generic pop music. And they use that brush to tar every pop musician because it's just handy for them so they don't have to deal with it. Or any of the intricacies or debate you might get into about the fact that Taylor Swift has integrity and credibility far beyond the normal pop star. And Iron Maiden has integrity and credibility beyond many heavy metal bands and success as well both have um so yeah i'd say iron maiden people probably i mean the, the number of times i've heard are they still going are they <laughs> from people like taxi drivers and various other people i interact with and uh taylor swift is just easy to dismiss as, as rubbish pop uh, that's what i would say yeah but as a fan of both artists how does that make you feel you know if people judge taylor swift just on shake it off and iron maiden just on Bring your daughters to the slaughter because they're the big hits. Yeah, but you want to yeah. show them the, the the lesser known tracks, don't you? You know, to say, well, they're not just about these singles; they've got more depth to them. Do you know what? When I was younger and I had more fight in me, yes, I certainly did. I remember when I got into Iron Maiden, my brother used to come into my room. He's a good few years older than me, and he used to go, "Bring your daughter, bring your daughter," and you know, all this kind of making devil horns and stupid faces. And I used to say, "They've released." F- 13 albums and he'd be like yeah fairy because it's easy to trot out the same old rubbish <laughs> all oh. the time and i'd be making an argument against it and then you know you get to a certain point in your life where you're like actually i don't care what you think i still love it and i think people earn a grudging respect for you people thought that i was maybe going through a phase when i started getting into iron maiden but they realize now that i definitely wasn't and the same with taylor swift they dismiss it as like oh you like that kind of pop stuff as well as Iron Maiden, how could you possibly enjoy the two? And as I explained in a previous episode, it's quite easy to enjoy the two. They appeal to different parts of you. And you just need to shake it off, even though that's not a good example of her musical. (laughs) I feel like you've been wasting all my time on this episode just for that joke. (laughs) It actually just came to me now. Oh, dear. This is two in one episode. I can't remember the other one. Um, Yeah, oh, well. All right, well... Anything else you want to say about Steve Harris and Taylor Swift? I would say, yeah. I mean, Steve Harris is kind of an icon within his own field. If you don't know much about heavy metal, you won't really know who he is. Taylor Swift is an icon in general, worldwide. But if you do know a bit more about her, you'll appreciate her a lot more. And I think that probably applies to both. The more you know about them, the more you appreciate them. And they've both done an excellent job in persevering and progressing and changing with the times when necessary people wouldn't necessarily credit them with that but i think when you delve a bit deeper you can see that they have um so yeah they've they've done fantastic jobs in their respective areas and they have so much respect from their hardcore fans and it's deserved yeah that's good that's a good point Uh, yeah i think any criticism of you uh that's gone now because you know sounds like you've done a lot of good work and research yeah, 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 absolutely, Trevor. I mean, I wouldn't come into this without having done uh, lots of good work and research. Great. We're talking of good work. Let's have one of our mashups. Oh, yeah, we should go into one of those. Love is a razor and I walk the line on that silver blade. Stepped in the dust with his daughter, eyes red with the slaughter of innocence. But I will pray for her 
I will call her name out loud I will plead for her If I could only see her now The evil that men do lives gone In the book of life opens before me And I will pray for you Someday I may return Don't you cry for me Beyond this where I learn The evil that men do lives on and I suppose we should come to an end now, bring the podcast to an end. Absolutely, yeah. It's been another great episode, and um, it's always a pleasure, Trevor. Always a pleasure. Great. Well, on episode five next week, what we got planned? Well, we're going to talk about all sorts of things, Trevor. We're going to talk about things that are very important to our listeners, such as uh, friends, love relationships, enemies, oh. and collaborations. So. We're going to talk about all those different things, and I think this is probably going to be our best episode yet. What? Episode 5? Better than last week? Well, and this week, of course. I think so, Trevor. I think so. I think we're... Each episode we do, we're getting better and better, so I think episode 5 is going to be the best one we have had yet. Great. Look forward to it. So, we'll see you next time on Taylor Made. Absolutely. See you next time. Looking forward to it. Our friendship never fades, tailor-made